0: Love looks like our world has a very, very skewed view of what love is supposed to look like. And the things that this world calls romance, the, thing that, the things that this world calls love are not, are really not what love ultimately looks like. And you know, God is the one who shows us what love really looks like, that he would, um, that he would care about people like us. People like us who are sinners—we are—we often forget that we are—we uh, are not as perfect as we think we are. Uh, we usually give ourselves a pretty good pass uh, when it comes to uh, to uh, the way things are. We're very um, hard on others, but we give ourselves a pretty good pass. And um, uh, but the reality is, uh, as we talked about a lot on Sunday, um, we are sinners that uh, before a holy, righteous God don't deserve a single second of eternal life. And uh, we did nothing to deserve it. In fact, we, got, we all gave God about every reason in the book uh, to send us to eternal destruction. And uh, the only thing that stepped in the middle of all that was God says, I love you. I love my, I love my creation way too much to just let him go. And uh, that's what uh, sent Jesus to the cross. And of course, Jesus, you know, John 3.16 says, God, so what? Love the world. That He gave His only begotten Son, so that Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's uh, that's where God's love, love leads. It leads to Him wanting to give you eternal life, everlasting life. Um, do you have that everlasting life? Are you sure of it? You know, one of the I remember living my life for a um, for a time, for several years, not sure, just not sure. You know, it was my thing. I I hoped, and I was pretty sure. I remember when God just brought me to the reality, just the, the sobering reality of, um, you know, um, wouldn't it be awful if you were to die and to find out that that little bit that you thought, ah, maybe, you know, I'm pretty sure like this mount over here, I'm pretty sure this mount, I'm saved. This little bit over here, I'm just, is this little bit of me that just, um, I'm not sure if I am saved. And God, I remember when God showed me, wouldn't it be awful if you died and found out that what you, th- that little bit over there was actually reality? that you die without Christ as your Savior and spend eternity in hell. And uh, that was when I, I remember being 11 years old and God just sobered me about that and showed me uh, that, uh, you know, because um, I had prayed a prayer when I was pretty young. But uh, very, well, I was actually very young and I remember how God, now I just came to the Lord and I said, Lord, I don't know what happened back then right now. I'm. Yeah, I I know. I see it all. I know it all right now. I'm asking you to be my savior, and uh, the Lord saved me. And you know how I know? Because Romans ten thirteen says He did. Yeah. It says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I called in the name of the Lord, so the Bible says that I'm saved. And that's that's a neat part. That it's not arrogant to say I know. That I'm saved. I know that I have eternal life. I know I have a home in heaven. It's not arrogant. It's actually where God wants you to be. And if you're here tonight, you don't know. You don't know that your sins are forgiven. Maybe you don't know if you have eternal life. God wants you to know that. Uh, God doesn't want you floating through life wondering about these things, uh, wondering where you will spend uh, eternity. I was doing some prep for this, uh, <laughs> believe it or not, for this uh, summer, <laughs> the summer of 2023 uh, for ministry. And one of the things I was going through was preparing some materials for some guys and uh, talked a lot in these, um, uh, these materials about uh, about death and the reality of death and how um, even just here in the United States, our population is at like 332 million now, and uh, by the time this year is over, 2.5 million Americans die. Next year, it be 2.5 million more Americans, maybe even just a, a little more than that. And uh, I, I remember writing down, uh, having on this document saying, who told you that you are not one of those 2.5 million, you know, and um, we, we often think, well, i even at any age I preached uh, one of the, um, one of the most unique places I've ever preached was in Florida, central Florida. And I preached in one of those Florida retirement communities. You know what they, those things that they talk about. You're like, oh, I know they exist down there. Are they real? They're real. And they're, they're interesting. And uh, they, uh, you know, and, uh, I, and I remember preaching down there. And I mean, people down there, there's, you know, these people in these retirement communities, it's amazing. They still, even though they are retired, they're older, they're coming towards the end of life. They still think they don't need God, you know, because they have, they have a little bit of health and they have a little bit of freedom yet. So they don't need God yet and it's downright sad it's downright sad and that's uh, that's not where you know the lord wants you to be he wants you to know that your sins are forgiven he wants you to know that you have eternal life because one day we all have to stand before him you know hebrews 9:27 says it's appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment and, uh, what a precious thing to be able to go out knowing, uh, that your sins are forgiven. You, um, there's a book I read once called, um, Voices from the Edge of Eternity. What a neat book. It's all firsthand and secondhand accounts of people. Who died, and people who watched people die, and it's interesting. It, you watch people who rejected Jesus as their savior. A lot of them died some horrible deaths. Not not gruesome in the sense that uh, you know maybe they went through a violent accident or something like that. But dying was a horrid process. It was just um, agonizing because they didn't know Jesus. And and then they tell stories again, first hand or second hand accounts of these people who knew the Lord Jesus as their savior, and their deaths were simple. In passing, because there was a hope. There was a hope. You know, one thing our world needs is hope. Hope that, um, you know, that goes beyond the craziness and the bizarrety of our culture, and just the darkness of our society, and just the the evils that just pervade in our society. And uh, Jesus is that hope. You won't find hope anywhere else. You won't find it in a denomination. You won't find it in in a church necessarily. You will find it in the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, he is the one who loves to save sinners like you and me. So I hope you know Jesus as your Savior because his, um, his love is what made it possible for sinners like us to be saved. So if you would, uh, take your Bibles and turn uh, to the book of Second Corinthians and chapter 12. Okay. Second Corinthians and chapter number 12 is where we'll go. And uh, again, as pastor said, let me just encourage you. I think what's going to happen tomorrow because family night, uh, t- family night's going to be fun. Uh, so just come ready to enjoy yourself a little bit. There will be some fun parts and uh, Lord willing, uh, I will keep everyone's attention. I, I better do it this time, especially. Yeah. After that, after that, um, um, you know, um, yeah, I better do it. So, but anyway, um, the things that will happen tomorrow—they uh, will be engaging for adults. They will be engaging for children. They will be engaging for teenagers. Uh, all ages. Hence, why it is family night. Uh, there will be some prizes that will be given out. There will be some. Uh, there will be games. There will be. Uh, there will be um, uh, some special uh, balloon creations. So, if your kids like, you know, stuff that's twisted into balloons, or if you are you adults, if you like stuff that is twisted into balloons, you can show up too and uh, sit near the front and uh, get a front. Row seat to uh, a few balloon creations. Uh, So all that's going to take place right here in the auditorium. You don't have to do anything special other than show up and have a smile and be ready to go. And uh, I think, I really do think, as pastor said, I think when you get to the end of family night, you will either say one, I'm glad I invited so-and-so to come or two, I think every person will say, I wish so-and-so could have come. Now, if you invited them, they didn't come, not your fault. That, that's the, leave that with the Lord, okay? You invited, leave that with the Lord. But uh, maybe you didn't uh, make any effort to bring anyone out. Like I said, I think you'll get to the end of tomorrow night and say, I wish I had asked so-and-so to come because they needed it. So, uh, so just be thinking on that in these, uh, in these coming days or in the, well, one more day, 24 hours from now. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to be in the book of second Corinthians and chapter 12. We're going to look at some verses. I think, uh, some of them are probably somewhat familiar to some of you. Uh, but one of the things, uh, that is, um, uh, just kind of in, by way of introduction is that, you know, us Americans, we do not, or I should say this way, us Americans, we love to be comfortable, don't we? We don't like it when uh, we we just um we oftentimes just um uh we we um, reject the idea that anything that makes us uncomfortable could be good for us. You ever notice that? Um, you know it was uh, and this and this is not something that is recent. It is something that has been in our culture for a while. I was reading. This is a this is a uh, this is good. You want to talk about Americans liking to be comfortable? These are actual um responses on comment cards that were put in at the Bridger wilderness area. I think that's in Wyoming, the Bridger wilderness area. I don't know if anyone knows. I believe that's in Wyoming, but it's a, um, a special, you know, uh, national park kind of area. And this was, these were the things put on comment cards back in 1996. Okay. So this was uh, a couple years ago. Okay. And you think that we like to be comfortable now. We liked it back then too. Here's what was on actual comment cards at the Bridger wilderness area in 1996. One, one person wrote, the trails need to be wider so people can walk while holding hands. Yeah, okay. Um, tra- trails, please be blunt, you know, with this one. Trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. <laughs> Like, um, like we would be like, okay, yeah, let's bring that mountain down. You know, someone get a hammer up there and pound it down. Um, one, one comment card said there were too many bugs, leeches, spiders, and spider webs. Please spray the wilderness to rid the area of these pests. Here's another one. Please, please pave the trails so that they can be snowplowed during the winter. Because, you know, up in that area especially, you know, sometimes there's areas that um, it closes in, like, uh, October, November, and they don't open it up until April, okay? Yeah, oh, please, you know, please, to, yeah. Um, oh, this is good. Chair lifts need to be in some places so that we can get to these wonderful views without having to hike to them. Yeah? Um, oh, this is good. The coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake. Please eradicate these annoying animals. Yeah, I know. They're a nuisance. They need to be shot, okay? Yeah, they, they really are. Um, oh, this is great. I, I, okay, now, listen. If you're an overthinker, do not overthink this next com- this next comment, or otherwise you'll blow what brain cells are left, okay? Here it is, ready? This is on a comment card. said, a small deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. Is there a way that I can get reimbursed? <laughs> I don't know. Um... Maybe, uh, maybe this person's never seen an animal before and got deer and raccoon mixed up. I don't know. Um, here's one. Reflectors need to be placed on trees every 50 feet so people can hike at night with flashlights. Now, some of you might be thinking, oh, that's kind of a clever idea. Folks, you have apparently never been out west at night. You do not want to be walking in the dark out west. At night, just trust me on that. You don't want to do that uh, because there's other stuff that walks around at night out there. Um, uh, there's uh, one said um, escalators would help on the steep uphill sections. Uh, no, the other one said, "Okay, again, for you overthinkers, hang on to this one, okay? Don't don't overthink it, okay?" This person said, "Places where trails do not exist are not well marked." <laughs> Oh yeah. Okay. Um, uh, one said that uh, one just simply said there's too many rocks on the mountain, and another one, no, the last one was uh, this. This person said a McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. You know, just kind of, you know, just kind of put it up there because they just bring in helicopters and drop McDonald's down in certain places. You know, you know, it's all these things. I mean, they just go to tell, just go to show us we like comfort. And again, not just do we like comfort, but we reject the idea that anything that makes us uncomfortable could be good for us, don't we? We don't we don't like that idea. And you know what's interesting is Paul kind of uh, he addresses that here in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Now we're going to get down to verse um, 7 8 9. Uh, those are going to be our main verses here in just a moment. But I want you to look at Chapter 12, verse number 1. Uh, now, here's what's happening. Now, in this um context, as as uh, Paul is about to talk about something that made his life very uncomfortable, what he does first is um in this, uh, part of this book, part of the reason why he wrote this book, not everything, but part of the reason he wrote 2 Corinthians was there were um, some false teachers that were coming around, and they were challenging Paul, uh, or really challenging the church, saying, oh, Paul's not a real apostle. He's not really a real prophet of God. And these false teachers were saying, you know, he's not a real uh Prophet of God, he's never had visions like us, and uh, and so really, what Paul does is he, in essence, is saying, "Okay, you want to know? Did I have visions?" In essence, he's saying, "Actually, I did." Look at chapter twelve, verse one. He says, "It's not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory." In other words, he's saying, "I really don't want to brag," but it's almost like, for the sake of you knowing that I am a real apostle, he says, "I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord." He said, "I'll talk about a vision I had." Verse number two. Paul says, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Now when he's, when Paul says, I knew a man, it's almost like he's saying, so I know this guy like 14 years ago that had this vision. Now listen, um, you ever, um, you ever had a, uh, situation, maybe you posted it on Facebook and you said, you know, I don't know. Um, is there any way to subtly and secretly dispose of a neighbor's cat that you hate, asking for a friend. You ever, ever seen someone put up something like that, you know, of like, and, and it says, asking for a friend, and everybody knows. He's just talking about himself. Folks, that's exactly what Paul's doing here. He says... So I knew this guy. And really, everyone, I mean, Bible scholars are agreed and the people have known, Paul's talking about himself. He, he's just trying to keep it humble and he says, I knew a man in Christ. Really, this is just Paul. 14 years ago. And he says, this vision, whether it was in the body, I can't tell. Whether it was out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. And he says that it is at this vision 14 years ago, before his missionary journeys ever started, it says, I, he says, uh, he was caught up to the third Heaven, you might say, now I looked at that and I said, whoa, like, okay, does heaven have levels or something like that? No, actually back in this day, what they would do is they would um in uh, they would use it was almost like a metaphorical poetic reference. Um, people would refer to the first heaven when they would do this. They were actually referring just to the skies. They'd refer to the second heaven that was outer space. They'd refer to the third heaven that was paradise where God dwelt. Okay, so when Paul says I was caught up unto the third heaven, don't get thrown off thinking are there like multiple heavens and which ones is God in? No, no, no. He would have been taught. You know, sometimes we refer to the sky as the heavens. Okay, that's kind of what they were doing. The first heaven is the sky. Second heaven is outer space. Third heaven is the paradise where God lives. So he says, I was caught up, not into outer space. He said, I got to go where God dwells. Now hang on to that. Whoa. Paul says, you want to talk about a vision? I got to be caught up to heaven itself. Where God dwells. Well, what happened there? Verse number four says how that he was caught up into paradise. It says, and he heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for man to utter. Hey, a little teaching moment for us Christians. Just so that you realize this is that here's this, here's Paul, probably, you know, the apostle Paul, probably one of the most legitimate people you could probably trust, you know, writing inspired scripture and all that kind of stuff. And you know what happened when he, here's a man who truly got to be in heaven. Can I tell you a couple things? Number one, he doesn't even tell you what he saw. Number two, he heard stuff and he says, I'm not allowed to tell you what I heard. So number one, one, he says, he doesn't even tell you what he saw. Number two, he heard stuff that he would never, that he was not allowed to repeat, which I'm just saying this, Christians, when you pick up, Some book from some Christian bookstore that's where someone says, oh man, I went to heaven and I saw this and I saw this and I saw this and heard this and this happened and this. Just know this people who really go to heaven. Number one, they don't talk about what they see. And number two, they hear, they hear stuff that they know they're not allowed to repeat. Okay. So when someone says, I heard all this and saw this, you know, can I, can I advise you with something Don Piper 90 minutes in heaven not worth your time okay I know that's a popular book not worth your time because when someone really went to heaven they actually can't talk about what they saw it is just that glorious and so he says I got there and he says uh, but once he saw this all verse 5 Paul says of such an one talking about himself again will I uh, will I glory yet not Yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. In other words, Paul saying, I really hate kind of telling this story because I don't want to look like I'm bragging. But you need it so that you know. Yes, I am a real apostle. Verse six, Paul says, for though I would desire to glory, I'd like to, you know, brag. He says, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now he says, I forbear. I'm going to stop telling you about this vision, um, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be. You know what Paul just said? He said, I'm not going to tell you any more of my vision because. I don't want you people to think that I'm some basically he's saying, I don't want you people to think I'm some kind of super Christian. Now, when I look at the apostle Paul, I think super Christian and Paul says in that now he wouldn't use those words, but he was in essence saying in verse six, I don't want to tell you any more about my vision. Cause I don't want you to think I'm a super Christian. He says, cause I'm not, he said, I have issues. I have problems. What does he say in verse number six? He says, unless anyone should think of me above that which he seeth me to be or that he heareth of me. And so he says that even though he'd been given these wonderful visions and saw these things, the God's, he says, unless verse seven, I should be exalted above measure through the abundance. So it wasn't just one. The abundance of revelations and the visions that he saw, he says, there was given to me, A thorn in the flesh. And so he said, God knew, (laughs) God knew how to keep me humble. And to keep me humble, God said, uh, God knew all, saw my successes. And you know, this, um, uh, this, uh, th- this event that took place with this vision, this vision takes place, um, you know, 14 years back from when second Corinthians was written. So it's probably, uh, it's probably after Paul's conversion, but it's before the missionary journeys It's probably during his training time in the desert of Arabia, as he's getting close to God, he's getting to spend intimate time with God out in the desert, preparing for his ministry. And you know, uh, you know what I think the Lord recognized with Paul. Paul, some of this neat stuff he was getting to see was going to his head. We don't usually think about Paul that way, but Paul said, yeah, some of it was going to my head. And you know what Paul, and you know what God did to keep Paul from getting proud? He gave him something. Oh, money. No, he gave him a thorn in the flesh he gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him from getting proud. You know, um, maybe you're at a point where things have been going extremely well. Maybe there's been accomplishments. Uh, Maybe you're, um, maybe you've gotten a promotion that you always wanted. Uh, Maybe you got, uh, maybe your job is doing extremely well. Uh, Maybe you're, um, maybe you're a part of a Sunday school class and you're like, what, my Sunday school class has doubled. I'm seeing kids getting saved and it's just being successful. Maybe you're seeing a lot of people led to the Lord. Uh, Maybe uh, your wealth has grown. Uh, Maybe you have children who are doing great things for God, and you're just excited, or maybe you have children that maybe they're not necessarily doing great things for the Lord, but they're at least, they're making some really neat accomplishments. Uh, Maybe you've reached some academic achievements. Maybe you've been seeing answers to prayer, and as these successes kind of roll in, lest we brag, God allows something into our lives called a thorn in in the flesh. So what we're going to look at tonight is thriving with a thorn. Because you know when we get a thorn in the flesh, we just uh, which we'll talk about what that is in a second. But when we get a thorn in the flesh, usually we like we think, oh man, this is just going to be a bummer time in my life until this thing kind of gets over to the side. No, God wants you to thrive in the midst of having a thorn in your flesh. So, uh, so let's ask ourselves first this question: What is the thorn in the flesh? Because Paul says uh, he says there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Okay, so what is this thorn in the flesh? Well, number one, notice. It's given to him by God. Verse seven, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. The thorn came from God. Now, again, we may ask, well, why did God, uh, why would God want to give something like this? Well, you know, sometimes God allows things, things that hurt, like a thorn, come into our lives. As Paul said, lest you be exalted above measure. You know what this thorn did? It punctured Paul's pride. Because Paul was pretty excited about his accomplishments and his visions and where he was going. And God said, this is not good because we're just in the training stage. He hasn't even gotten to the missionary journeys. And the Lord said he is going to ruin this missionary journey if we don't pop his pride. You know, the Lord's good about doing that Mm -hmm. to us. Not because he wants to hurt us, but because God knows that our, our use to him will be limited by pride. But also, this thorn in the flesh, not only is it given by God, but also it's an annoyance. You know, the word thorn here, it's a Greek word used only here in the New Testament. And it's a word that simply means a thorn, or it can also mean a splinter. You know, you ever get, uh, you ever get pricked by a thorn? You ever get a splinter in the hand? How about this? Um, this is kind of a similar thing. You ever going out hiking and you get a pebble? In your boot isn't it amazing how something so small you know a, a pebble a thorn and a splinter have no ability to handicap you, they cannot break your bones. They cannot, uh, they cannot, um, uh, give you a concussion. They cannot knock you out. But isn't it amazing that after a while, that thorn, that splinter, that pebble in your boot can scream so loudly that you're willing to stop. Like if you're on a hike, you're willing to stop everything and pull off that boot and get completely undressed if it means you can get that pebble out. Why? Because that thorn, though it is so small, it screams so loudly, it's an annoyance. It listen to this, it distracts you from what you're trying to accomplish. You know, sometimes you're trying to do some right things. You're trying to live for the Lord, trying to just, uh, just do the normal. Sometimes it's trying to serve the Lord. Sometimes it's just, I'm just trying to do my job, just trying to do my work. And there's something in your life, a thorn, and it's just distracting and annoying. Folks, that's from God. Why? Okay, well, let's find out more about the thorn in the flesh. Notice this. It says, this is kind of a duh statement. It's in your flesh. That's what it says. A thorn in the flesh. So what exactly is this flesh? Well, two things. This is very, very careful. Note to both of these. One, when he says the thorn is in his flesh, that could mean, one, that this thorn was in his physical flesh which would mean which would be like a physical ailment like a handicap or a disease or something like that it would be something that irritated his physical body all the time uh and some bible scholars say uh, this this irritation this annoyance in his life it was something that afflicted his physical body you know galatians 4:13 Paul said, you know how through the infirmity of the flesh, I preached the gospel unto you at the first. So in other words, he says, uh, he tells the Galatians, says, you know, basically I was sick. I had a physical issue, yet I still preach to you. And sometimes that thorn in the flesh is a physical issue that just seems to keep you from doing what you want to get done. Um, Charles Spurgeon, how many of you have ever heard of Charles Spurgeon, a preacher? Okay, a lot of you have. Charles Spurgeon was a um, uh, was a very famous preacher. Charles Spurgeon had what could be identified as gout in 1869 when he was 35 years old. And for the remainder of his life, he would be laid aside. Listen to this. Charles Spurgeon would get laid aside for weeks and sometimes months every year with a variety of illnesses. In 1871, Charles Spurgeon said this, listen, he said, it is a great mercy to be able to change sides when lying in bed. He said, do you ever, um," he said, did you ever lie a week on one side? Did you ever try to turn and find yourself quite helpless? And did others ever lift you, and by their kindness reveal to you the miserable fact that they must lift you back again at once to the old position? For as bad as it was, it's preferable to the other. That's Charles Spurgeon. It was not a—he was not having a good life. He says it is a great mercy to get one hour's sleep at night. He said, um, yeah, he said, uh, what a blessing to be able to put one foot on the ground again, even if only for a minute. Charles Spurgeon was seldom pain free. From 1871 on, uh, his condition became more complex. Some say it looked like he had Bright's disease, and uh, and that began to develop as well. So you know, here's a preacher where I think he had something—a definitely an annoyance, a distraction. Here's Charles Spurgeon trying to do ministry, and he's got uh, this annoyance in his physical flesh, a physical ailment. Paul could have been. People make guesses about Paul. Some say it was he had eye problems. Some say he had malaria. Some say he had migraines. Some some say he had epilepsy. Some say he had a speech impediment. Whatever it is, sometimes a physical problem can be magnified so loud that it distracts even from ministry. And you know why Paul wanted to get rid of this thorn in his flesh? Because it interfered with his ministry. You know, it wasn't a big thing. It wasn't, like he, it wasn't like he was deaf. You know, he couldn't speak or something like that. It was something small that annoyed him. That just, he, his mind said, Lord, if we could get rid of this, ministry would be a lot easier, you know, like, can I just tell, can I just tell y'all something? Anyone else out here have a bad back? Who's got a bad back? Anyone like that? Okay. It's not just me. Okay. Yeah. Me too. I'm going to the chiropractor tomorrow. You know why? Because I got my back is terrible and uh, and I'm just, uh, I'm just so annoyed sometimes with the pain that it causes. And I just think, you know, you know how much more I could do serving the Lord if I didn't have back pain do we not sometimes think about that? That's the way Paul viewed it. That's the way even Charles Spurgeon kind of viewed it. And, um, and, uh, and it's, it interfered with his ministry. And, uh, and even Spurgeon said, listen to this, right? Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said, I have to look after the orphanage. I have charge of a church with 4,000 members. Sometimes there's marriages and burials to be undertaken. There's the weekly sermon to be revised. There's the sword and the trowel to be edited. That was like his uh, magazine. And beside all that, a weekly average of 500 letters to be answered you know what i think if spurgeon was thinking lord if we would get rid of this um, thorn in the flesh i can minister way better you know why he said that because that makes sense to you and me but god said it would be better if you did your ministry with a thorn Wow. So this thorn was, could, was, it may have been in his physical flesh, but can I tell you this? Sometimes we don't think about this. Do you know that this thorn could have been in his spiritual flesh? Well, what's his, what's like spiritual flesh? Spiritual flesh is, um, refers to the remnants of your old unsaved self that still crave sin. You know, even though you're um, a Christian, if you've asked Jesus to be your Savior, you're still going to crave sinful things. And that is, that is the part of you that the Bible describes as your flesh. You know what that annoyance might have been? That, that pestering annoyance? It might have been something in his spiritual flesh. It might have been that he had an incessant temptation that would not leave him alone, that he was constantly maybe doing. Do you, do you ever have a sin that it just seems like, Lord... Do you know how much better I would please you if we would just stop? If I would, if we would just stop this temptation? Maybe you have some some kind of temptation, and you just think this is just I, I do. I commit this sin over and over and over every single day. I I wish it was would stop, Lord. Why don't you just take away the desire? Why don't you take away all temptations for this thing? You know how I am, Lord. Why don't you just take it away? Isn't it amazing? Sometimes God doesn't. You know, you know, in His spiritual flesh, maybe the maybe the thorn was persecution people who wouldn't leave him alone, people who would mock him, people who would attack him, people who would hurt him for giving the gospel. Hey, maybe it was depression. Maybe it's Thor- Maybe Paul had times where he was down. Maybe he had times where he just could not go on. Maybe Timothy had to jump in and preach the sermon last minute. I don't, I'm, I'm just guessing. We don't know. You know what the good thing is? We don't know. Could have been in his physical flesh, could have been in his in his spiritual flesh, but we don't really know. Uh, which, you know, lets us know it could be any of these things. But here's another clue as to what this thorn in the flesh was. Look at verse 7. Paul says, This thorn in the flesh was, quote, the messenger of Satan. Ooh. Messenger of Satan. What is what is that? Well, the word messenger, this is interesting. The word messenger there is a word that always, and if you find it in the New Testament, it never refers to a disease, it always refers to a person. Oh, now we just opened this up even more of what this thorn in the flesh could be. It could have been something physical. It could have been something spiritual. It could have even been a person. Now, you're all super spiritual. I'm sure you wouldn't have this but, um, Are there any people in your life that, like, annoy you a lot? <laughs> that just are a pain... <laughs> You know, I know all spouses. I've seen them. You're starting to look at each other like, yeah, yeah. You know, you know. He's talking about you. You know, Amen, preacher. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, we don't know, but it is interesting. He says this is a messenger of Satan. This word "messenger" it really is a word that is only used to refer to people. I mean, maybe you know, even in today's uh, society, you know, uh, in today's culture, maybe uh, this uh, messenger of Satan it could be. Maybe if you, you have antagonistic parents or, uh, that don't care about, don't want you to live for God or antagonistic spouse who doesn't want you to live for God or, or friends that don't want you to live for God. Who knows what it could be? It's a big variety of what it could be here. But notice what he says here. He says in verse number seven that this thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan and it says it was sent to buffet me. You know what that word buffet means? It means to beat on and to pound on someone. Um, there's, uh, there's a, um, very popular kind of, uh, activity, uh, on, t- on TV. It's called MMA, mixed martial arts. And uh, what it is, is it's kind of, it's a small area and two guys go at it and they don't, uh, it's not like boxing where, you know, you just have certain things you can do and you can't do. And if a guy falls down, you see in boxing, if a guy falls down, you have to give him time to get back up, right? Not in MMA. Cause actually what happens in MMA is if you can get in a swing, if you can get in a kick, if you can get in a knee and you can knock a guy down, you, If you watch it, you'll know this, is that if a guy gets in a punch and he knocks the guy down, clearly, you know, he's kind of, whoa, dazed, and he goes down. Immediately, what the guy is going to do is as soon as he knocks it down, they love each other, you know, in in this ring, right? He's going to immediately jump on top of him and pummel his face as fast as he can. You know why? Because as soon as there's a hit that looks like the guy got knocked out or something like that, the referee is immediately going to move in and get between. He's going to actually thrust his body between the two of them because, you know, the the guy up on top, he's not going to hit the ref. And so the referee flings himself in between the two of them to protect the guy who just has gotten knocked out. Why? Because if he doesn't, he's going to be beat upon and beat upon. And beat upon and folks that's what the word buffet means paul says this thorn in the flesh this aggravation that kept me from doing all that i wanted to do for god he said it pounded on me do you have something in your physical body that just i just won't let you go you want to serve god you just want to work your job I just won't leave you alone Maybe you have something in your spiritual flesh. Maybe it's persecution. Maybe it's depression. Maybe you've just got a temptation and this, this, this sin problem. These things just won't leave you alone. You say, come on, Lord. I just, I could do so much more for you if we could clear this out. If we could get rid of this, this person in my life. Lord, I could just serve you so much better. What's going on? Why would God allow this? Verse seven, Paul repeats it yet again. He says, why was there given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to buffet me? lest I should be exalted above measure. In other words, you know what this thorn was doing? It was keeping Paul from the sin of pride. You know, sometimes um, God allows calamities into our lives to keep us from sinning. Because God knows that you'll get, you know, sometimes things start happening, we get pretty proud of who we are and what we've done. And God says, you know what? We're gonna humble you. Hang on to that for a while. And you know what happens then is Paul goes to prayer. And it says in verse number eight, for this thing, a concerning, in other words, the idea is concerning this thorn, I besought the Lord thrice. Now, I don't think it just means that, you know, he had three different days that he prayed about it. It probably means that he had three different seasons where he had seasons of prayer about this thorn in his flesh and he prayed. And what he prayed that it might depart from me, He begged God to take it away. Now, a couple things about this. Number one, I don't think this prayer request was sinful. Because for one thing, Paul didn't know if this is like a a permanent thing that God wanted him to just deal with for his life, or if this was just something he needed to pray through and see God deliver him from. But I I don't think this prayer request was sinful. But you know, something else I noticed is that his prayer request was heard and it was answered. Now, sometimes when it comes to these kind of, these thorns in the flesh, we almost are like, okay, you know, Lord, um... I'm not sure if you heard me and we can see right here. Oh yeah. God heard Paul's prayer and he did answer it. It may not have been the answer Paul wanted at least at the time, but God did answer it. And, uh, and you know, by the way, take courage that, you know, here's Paul with a thorn in his flesh. Here's Spurgeon with a thorn in his flesh. They prayed and asked God to take these things away. And God said, no. God's not a respecter of persons. It's not like, oh, Apostle Paul gets, uh, gets inroads on the prayer thing that I just don't ever get. And God, you know, he gets answers to prayers that people like me just don't get. Oh, no. No, 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 no. God knows what's best. And even Paul got told no. And so Paul is told no, you're going to hang on to this, on to this thorn. And God says, here's how I want to help you thrive while you have a thorn. Folks, that was an extremely long introduction. To a very short sermon. Okay, so uh, so here we go. How do you thrive with a thorn? Here it is. This won't take. This won't take us too crazy long. Thriving. How do you thrive with a thorn? Look at verse number nine. First of all, what you need to do. You want to thrive with a thorn in your life. Number one, realize God's resources. Realize God's resources. You know, I think I mentioned this briefly yesterday. You know, one of the things that God likes to do, is often, uh, for us, we want God to change a circumstance. We want God to move a person. We want God to do this. And you know what God says? Instead Instead of changing your situation, God loves to insert new ingredients into the circumstance to make things different. What does he want to do? Well, God has two resources. He wants to infuse into Paul's situation. He wants to infuse into your situation. First one is grace. And he said unto me, verse number nine, Jesus said, my grace is sufficient. Hey, folks, God's grace is not just a, um, an undeserved favor that saves us from our sin, but God's grace is also a force that sustains us. And he says, my grace is sufficient, meaning that it is enough, and there's no shortage, but I love how he says, it is sufficient for thee, for you. In other words, God says, He's saying, my grace is personalized to your situation. That I have a sustaining force that has been personalized for you. It's for you. This kind of, this specific, you know, mixture of grace will not work perfectly for him. It's going to work perfectly for you. He says, my grace is sufficient. It is right there for you. And then noted, but you know, oftentimes I'll just say this. Oftentimes, not for, and for, fine reasons. When we come to this verse, because some of you have probably gone to this verse before, um, you know, we talk about the grace that is sufficient, but we do it to the neglect of the other resource. You know what God's other resource is that he says he'll give? He says, my grace is sufficient. Then he says, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know what the other ingredient is that you need? You need God's Strength. Now, here's a couple things you gotta notice. One, he says, uh, he says, uh, "For my strength is made perfect in weakness." In other words, God never tells you you need to be strong. He doesn't tell you you need to be strong. He says you need my strength. <laughs> Trust me, it's almost like God is saying you don't want yours because you don't have it anyway. You say, "Matt, why how do you know that? Why would you say that?" Well, because of the word. It says, "My strength is made perfect in weakness." You know what this word weakness is? Uh, when I see the English word weak, when I talk about, you know, someone and I say, "Well, you know, he, you know, so and so, he's sick, he's really weak right now." If we were to say that, what do we mean? What we mean is uh, he's uh he has very little strength. He has a little bit of strength, but not much, right? You know, that's what we say when we use the word weak. Folks, that is not what the Greek word is here. Do you know what the word here for, for a weakness is? It's literally, it's the word strength with an A in front of it. You might say, well, is that significant? Yeah. Do you remember in um, elementary school? How many of you remember from elementary school? Brush it back. Remember elementary school? Did anyone have to take a vocab class? Any of you remember that? Scars from that? Yeah. Remember prefixes and suffixes and all that bizarre stuff that means nothing? Guess what, folks? Today's the day that that class is finally actually going to be worth something. All right. So there's a um, there's a prefix in front of this word strength, and it's an alpha. It's an A, the Greek letter alpha, which is kind of like our A. And, um, and so it's the word strength with an A in front of it. Folks, what happens when you take a word, you put an A in front of it? Like this. Um, do you know what uh, theist is? T h E-I-S-T. A uh, theist is someone who believes in God. Okay, that's theo theos, that's uh, you know, Greek and Latin, that's, that's someone who believes in God. Hey, if you take theist and you put an A in front of it, what do you have? Oh, what's an atheist? Someone who does not believe in God. So you put an A in front of it, and it means the exact opposite of the you know, theist. i uh, take the word typical. If you were to say, you know, well, that's a, you know, that's a typical piano, you know, that's, a, you know, that's a pretty typical guitar, that's a pretty typical ladder over there. Um, but, you know, if you look at it, but what if we were to take the word typical and put the letter A in front of it? What word do we have? Atypical, atypical, whatever whatever the pronunciation is. And what does the word atypical mean? Not typical at all. It means that that's, that's bizarre. That's like nobody has it. Like, you know what I was looking at today? These lights right here. I don't know if I've seen any church that has lights just like that. That is an atypical, atypical lights for a stage in a church. I just don't see them very often. And so, you know, that is, it's like these are lights that like nobody else uses. Okay. So you're unique. You're glad you're unique. Okay. Um. And so you know what this word is where God says, he says, you need my strength. You know why? Because you have no strength. You know, we often think that, well, you know, at least praise the Lord, I got a little strength. No, you don't. No, you don't. And your life and my life are great testimonies that we don't have strength, that we don't have power, that we do not have power within ourselves. You know, there was a, there was this um, video game I played as a, as a, when I was in junior high, those were my video game years. I love football. And uh, when I was in junior high, I loved playing this video game called Madden. 2002. Oh yeah, yeah. That was a good game, and uh, 20. That was 20 years ago. My goodness. And so, um, and so this game. One of the things about these football players on this game was that you, they had different, um, uh, you know, categories. You know, such as uh, they they had um, agility. They might have catching ability. They might have tackling ability, awareness, all these different um traits to them. And they would be given, they'd be assigned a number between zero and 99. And so, you know, if you, uh, you know, if you have a really good player, he's going to be a 99 in a lot of things. You know, you might have an offensive lineman might be like 99 in his pass blocking ability, but he might be, you know, like a a 31 in his passing accuracy, you know, because nobody cares if nobody needs, you know, the center to be able to pass the ball. You just got to be able to block, you know? And, um, and so, you know, what one of the categories was on every player's bio, it was strength. Do you know what you and I have for strength? You know what God says you have? a zero. You have a zero when it comes to your strength and when it comes to your power. And Paul says, if I wanted to know God's power, I had to, to to, to bear me through this awful thorn in the flesh. He said, I had to accept that I had no strength. Some people, I don't know. It just, it's not a very, I don't think it's a good phrase. People say weakness is power. No, it's not. Weakness is weak, weakness is weakness. God's power is what you want. Weakness is not power. It's, it's the fact that when you finally will accept that you have no power to overcome your thorn and accept and admit that you are absent of strength, that is when God can move in with incredible grace and with incredible power. And so he says in verse number nine, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory? I'll get excited and brag about what? My infirmities. You know what that word infirmities is? You know something, folks? It's the exact same Greek word as weaknesses. In other words, Paul says, You know what I'd rather brag about and get excited about? I'm excited about the fact that I have no strength because he said I had to realize that I had to realize that I had no strength, that's okay. Because since I, I have no strength, that's okay because God has all power. You know, the world the world loves to tell us, oh, you're strong. You're a strong person. Oh, the world does it all the time, folks. I was just, just, I just like Googled it. Like, what does the world say about being strong? Found this on my. Please let me say it. My wife's Pinterest account. Okay. Um, uh, this one, I don't know who said it, but it's, someone said, "You were given this life because you are strong enough to live it." You know, that's called unbiblical. It might look inspiring, but it's unbiblical. Here's another one. Um, this, is, this is Eleanor Roosevelt said this. She said, women are like tea bags. You never know how strong they are until they are in hot water. Do you know something? That sounds very inspiring, but you know what that means? You know where all the dependence is on when you're in hot water? It's on you. You know what God says? Guess how much strength you have? A zero. And it won't be long before your strength ain't going to hold up. Listen, if I had, on that, on that video game, if I had an offensive lineman with a zero in the strength category, guess what? Whoever he was supposed to block is going to come through every time and sack the quarterback. It won't last for very long before, you know, he's gone. I wouldn't want him. Um, here's one, an author by the name of Janice Trackman said, um, everything is within your power and your power is within you. No, it's not. Um, An actor, Amy Schumer, she said, I say if I'm beautiful, I say if I'm strong, you will not determine my story, I will. You know, I get it, but you know what? There's gonna come a point you're gonna realize that stuff don't hold up when life really hurts. How about about one more? Here's the, uh, how about the great theologian, Bob Marley? He said, It's a joke, okay. He said this, you'll never know how strong you are until being strong is your only choice. Again, it's supposed to be so inspiring, but folks, when life really hurts... And when you are annoyed out of your mind at some kind of thorn in your flesh, your strength will not sustain you. You need God's power. And and Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Paul said, I will get excited and brag about the fact that I am weak. I have no strength. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know what that word rest means? It means to, it almost has the idea, uh, it's the idea of to set up a tent. You know, a tent is a temporary dwelling. And it's the idea, he says, I want God's power to come on down and settle on me and tabernacle, tent on top of me for a little while because Paul said, I cannot do life without God's power. Folks, you will not be able to handle, (laughs) you will not be able to handle hard things without God's power. You want, do you want his strength? you want his power? As you tried to serve the Lord in spite of a physical ailment, you know, you need to be asking for God's power. Usually we just say, man, I got to push through another day. Interesting how quickly we go right back to flesh dependence, self dependence, and we say, "Well, I I gotta push through another day." Leaves it all on you. Guess how long that's gonna last? Not forever. God's strength can, though. Uh, Do you want God's strength and power to survive an attack from Satan? Some of you may be under an assault from the devil right now. Maybe he is just. all over you, not leaving you alone. You need God's power. Maybe it's a person, remember that thorn? Maybe it's a person that, uh, that is just assaulting you verbally and just will not leave you alone. Uh, maybe you need power to go through that. Uh, maybe you're being persecuted. No one else really gets it, but maybe you have someone who is downright cruel and sometimes you're even a little bit nervous for your safety at times because you want to please God. You need God's strength and power. You need his strength and power. About to survive a severe temptation, we need his power. So, what's our response? You know, well, I'll tell you this. You can respond this way. You could respond with bitterness, and you could blame God for robbing you of your freedom and pleasure by giving you a thorn in the flesh. You could respond by giving up and failing to get any blessing out of the whole experience. Or, or you could do what a lot of Christians do you could just grit your teeth and determine, I am going to endure to the end. Those are the cranky Christians. <laughs> yeah. You know, the ones that have thorns in the flesh, they probably have like five or six of them sticking out of a lot of spots, and they're just like, I, I, I'm a good Christian. I'm going to endure to the end, no matter how bad it hurts. And you know what God doesn't want you, you know what God wants you to do is to drop the crankiness and say, God, I need power. Amen. Because that crankiness displays: we're weak, with no strength, and we need power god's power so you could um you could become bitter you could give up you grit your teeth or you could accept and admit your absence of any strength to deal with the thorn and ask god for the grace and the power to overcome and so paul says therefore verse 10 this is where we'll end verse 10 therefore paul says i take pleasure in infirmities reproaches necessities persecutions, uh, and distresses for Christ's sake. Now, when he says, I take pleasure in them, folks, it's not like Paul was saying, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, I'm going to get whipped today. Okay, he doesn't do that, okay? What does the word take pleasure mean? It means this. I was looking it up. I was like, that doesn't make sense. What does it mean? You know what the, the verb there, Paul says, I take pleasure in them? It's just a verb that means to be content. go. just says, you know, if God wants it to be uh infirmities, weaknesses, if he wants it to be reproaches, which is when people talk bad about you, if God wants it to be um, distresses, if God wants it to be persecutions or, or necessity, not having the daily necessities, Paul says, I'll be content. Whatever he gives, he says, for when I am weak, then am I strong. He says, when I have no strength, that's when, I can, that's when all of a sudden I can access God's strength. You know, um, one of the things Paul had to find out was if he was kept weak, that meant he was kept dependent. You know why God keeps you so weak and keeps a thorn in your side? Because it'll keep you dependent. If we don't have anything we have to depend on God for, then we're set. We can live life as we want. That's why God keeps a thorn in your flesh. Because he's got to keep you dependent on him. Why? Because we get proud really fast. Paul did too. Paul did too. And God says, I am going to keep you dependent. You know, sometimes we look and we say, why in the world, God? Why? Why, 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 You know, sometimes we don't know all the why. I think of, um, I think of the, uh, um, Scotland has, uh, you, know, you know, different places they have like um, state flowers, you know, in our states we have a state flower. I don't know if we have a national flower. I don't know. I don't really, I'm not a flowers kind of person. And, uh, you know, and so you have to study flowers. Did you, do you know what the official national flower of scotland is you ready for this this is kind of dumb the thistle like like you know like you couldn't have like a whoo you know like a pretty thing you pick like hey hey this thing's got spikes let's have this for a a national flower no you say why would they have that all right let me just tell you some of this is kind of a there's a little bit of mix of history and legend but this is pretty neat uh, like I said, there's a, there's, there's some legend mixed in there, but it is part of history too. Um, so Scots and I believe it was the English that, you know, they, they didn't get along if you didn't know that. Okay. They didn't really get along very well. And, um, there was uh, and there was a lot of wars between the Scots and the English. And according to legend, uh, there was, well, there were plenty of wars between them, but according to one legend, it said that, uh, the English were coming in for an invasion and as they were coming in to invade they're coming in at night to take the Scots by surprise and uh, these thistles are all over the place in Scotland and so um and so as the English were coming out of their ships to start their invasion in the middle of the night uh the English said take off your shoes boys we're going to catch them in the dark and so as the English are coming uh coming in to invade they didn't realize that Scotland already had its own natural defenses up known as the thistle and according to the legend these English start stepping on the thistles and going ah you know and, like, ah, and they're all and then all of a sudden you have a bunch of people, you know, screaming and yelling, he wakes the Scots up and the Scots grab their swords, go nuts, run down there and, uh, and, uh, push the English back. And, uh, you know, you might, you might say, uh, you know, um, I don't, some of that's legend, but you know, if that all is true, you know, sometimes you might think, Lord, why all the thistles? What a ridiculous amount of thorns. You know, why can't we have like a f- pretty flower? You know, why not? Uh, you know, maybe it was because the Lord know knew, hey, you're going to want these thistles a little bit later on. You don't know it now, but you're going to want them. And, you know, um, that's kind of what, you know, sometimes we look at our thorns and we look at the things that God's allowed into our life, these annoyances, and I think, man, I, I feel like I could just serve God better. I feel like I could just do life better if I didn't have these, this thorn in my flesh. God says, no, you don't see it, but you need it. If you don't have this, you're going to get really proud. And, I'm going and God says, I'm going to keep you right where you need to be. You need to be dependent on me. That's where the Lord wants to keep us. You, do you, um, you have a thorn in your flesh? Whatever that looks like, physical flesh, spiritual flesh, maybe it's a person. Um, listen, God's got power and grace that he has purposefully molded to be sufficient for you. This, this particular mixture won't really work for other people. It'll work perfectly for you, though. And God wants you to know his power. God wants you to know his grace to survive and thrive through a thorn. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for, for your strength and for your grace. And I pray that you would, um, Lord, would you would you encourage, Lord, I can only imagine the hearts that just are drugged down by the agony that a thorn brings. I pray, dear Lord, that give, um, you would give strength, You would, that, you're, that these people would access your strength and your grace, that they would ask for it. You said, let's therefore come boldly before the throne of grace so that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Lord, help these people to do just that.